Welcome to Inside Medical Malpractice. My name is Chris Rokosh. I'm a registered nurse, legal consultant and educator, and the president of Connect Medical Legal Experts. Each month, we'll be looking at the malpractice issues from different perspectives, featuring honest, candid, insightful interviews by people and professionals with a wealth of information to share. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now let's dive into this fascinating subject. Today I'm lucky enough to be back talking with Beverly McLaughlin, the retired Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Canada. She was born in rural Alberta and made her way all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada. If you haven't heard the first episode, don't miss it because we talked specifically about some of her journey, her decisions, and um, today we're going to talk about the struggle in that journey in the fact that she was a woman in a man's world. I've read her book, Truth Be Told, her autobiography twice, and it's a great read. It's so inspirational and so approachable in a thousand ways. Um, And she talks about the difficulties of being a woman in that book. So if you haven't read it, please do. But welcome back, Beverly. We're so glad to have you here. Thank you. First of all, I love the story in the prologue in your book when you first met Ruth Bader Ginsburg from the U.S. Supreme Court. And she asked you about the history of women's legal rights in Canada. Do you have a moment to share with us quickly the story of the famous five? Because I think that's a story that's that many young girls don't know. I didn't know the great details of. And it's something that we should all know and never forget. Well, briefly, uh, five uh, women in Alberta uh, nominated another woman uh, to, uh, or one of them perhaps, I can't recall, to be a senator in Canada. And they received the answer that uh, a woman could not sit in the Senate of Canada because women were not quote-unquote persons. And under the law at the time, the constitutional law, only persons could hold public office. So all of the domain of public office was arguably close to women, uh, be it uh, courts, be it sitting on town council, be it serving in parliament, be it a senator, uh, public, uh, public office, that is an appointed office or elected office to one of our public institutions was off limits for women. So you need to understand how bad the law was, but people thought the law was fine at the time. It, it, one thing you learn is that um, these things that seem so obvious now that women are persons and can hold public office did not seem obvious at the time. So those women raised money. They went to the uh, Supreme Court of Alberta. They uh, got a decision there, I believe, uh, uh, in their favor, uh, whether either in, in Alberta in any event, uh, it's been a long time since I looked at the details. Uh, they went uh, and they lost in the Court of Appeal, as I recall. They went to the Supreme Court of Canada and they lost. Uh, the uh, Supreme Court of Canada said, and they applying in its defense, uh, the general law throughout the Commonwealth, which had similar provisions, that women were not persons for holding public office. So these women. Uh, raised uh, money and decided to go to the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council in London, which at the time uh, was the final court of appeal for Canada. And uh, there, much to everyone's surprise, they they uh, won. And uh, Viscount Sankey 
uh, who wrote the decision for the uh, Judicial Committee said, um, we're living in a new age. The, the women are more and more uh, taking uh, roles outside the home, taking public roles. And the law has to change to accept that. So he overruled that precedent that had held throughout the Commonwealth and said that women were indeed persons capable of holding public office, which was a monumental change at the time. Uh, I, I looked at some of the editorials that greeted it in, uh, in Canada and, and it was shock and despair. The world would change, they said, and I suppose it has. Uh, and uh, women had no place in the public uh, quarters of the nation. Uh, but um, nowadays people say, how could the Supreme Court of Canada ever have said that women aren't persons? But you have to understand uh, that the, those were very, very different times. And they were, they were relying on a very long uh, history of jurisprudence in the area. Yes, we've come a long, long way. Do we still have further to go, in your opinion? Oh, we do, obviously. I, we have uh, women are underrepresented in Parliament uh, and many other in our courts, uh, although we've made a lot of progress. Uh, many other public institutions, uh, women are underrepresented. Uh, they can go, but, uh, and they do, uh, but uh, we, I, uh, we, we do have ways to go. Um, more women, I believe, need to be participating in public institutions. Well, thank you for doing your part in a really big way. Something you addressed you. in your—you <laughs> did good. You've shown us all—you've showed us all a new path and a new uh, a new goal to reach. Something you talk quite a bit about in your book um, is you call it the singular obsession with perfection that women have. And then towards the end of the book, at the end of chapter 15, you, you've learned and you've journeyed and you've grown and you've aged. And you talk about accept imperfection, embrace risk, have the courage to fail and the strength to pick yourself up and start over, do your best and move on. Can you talk to us a little bit more about um, how you develop? You call it a directive, which I love. How is how, that directive serving you now? Um, well, um, it when once you realize that nobody's perfect and and you're not perfect but you can still do things and it, it it's 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 liberating because you can go out and try new things and accept that you might not be perfect you might fail and right now i i struggle with with aspects i'm i'm doing uh I'm doing dispute resolution, arbitration, mediation. I'm an author. Um, I can't always get everything done I want to get. I can't. Uh, I, I have times I say uh, I need. I, I need to do that again. Uh, I can do better. Uh, but I do it with a sense of acceptance and equanimity and confidence. And that's the difference when you realize that. Uh, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to do your very best. There's no such thing as perfection. Perfection is a judgment in the eyes of others. You start seeing yourself through your own eyes 
and what you are instead of how people are judging you. That is also very liberating. Mm, that's some great advice. And it does feel liberating just to hear you say it. It really does. Mm-hmm. You're one of the few chief justices in the history of the world so far that's, have, that's ever had to ask yourself if you were a good mother. And um, <laughs> although you, you know, I don't, uh, you're among many of us who have asked ourselves that question a thousand times. What, what advice, I guess when it all shakes down, I have no doubt that you were uh, a good mother. What advice do you have for the young mothers who are trying at this point to make their way in the world and be a good mom and a good wife and be thin and pretty and fit and smart and all those things that us women try to do? What advice do you have to offer? Well, relax, and uh, I, I think give your child lots and lots of love. Uh, give them a, a, a stable framework of, of, of rules and practices and expectations, uh, and everything else will look after itself, I think, in most cases. Yeah. Unconditional love. Uh, sometimes you may have to make negative comments or do something like that, but it must always be in a loving way. The child must grow up feeling unconditional love. And I think they also need a sense of structure and a sense of limits and boundaries and so on. And um, those, if you get those two things right, I think everything else will probably uh, fall into place. Of course, I along the way if you're doing that i think the child will grow up full of uh confidence and there's many other things you you want to enhance curiosity you want to enhance the sense you can explore uh all the things you want to explore as a child and as a young person and there's lots of peripheral things that are terribly important but basically that unconditional love and some structure is 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 at the heart of it, I think. Hmm. That's good advice. Uh, and thank you for thank you for sharing it. I, I want to refer just quickly to an article that you that was published in a magazine in March 2020. It was called Access to Justice, Justice in the mm-hmm. Time of Social Distancing that was authored by you. It's a great article. You talked briefly in the other podcast about how the courts have had to adapt to the COVID-19 and things that have just happened right now and, and move get with it was your comment. But you closed that article with something that was so good. You congratulated Canadians on our resilience, on our kindness, on our social responsibility. And you ended by saying, we can do this together. Mm -hmm. This struck me as such a beautiful, caring, kind, maternal and feminine thing to say. (laughs) (laughs) And I just want to thank you for it. And I would just like to hear if you were able to bring this uh, female presence into the courts as you moved through them. Yeah, I didn't think of it as a particularly female presence. I just thought of it. Uh, uh, I, I, I think that uh, you, you, you need to. Uh, what I tried to do as a judge or or chief or whatever is think about my colleagues and think about how the group works together and uh, enhance uh, as much as I could that sense of working together, even though we might differ and we differed often on, as as is the judge's fate on particular questions uh, that we were required to decide, 
there's a sense of collegiality that we're all part of the same institution working for the same goal, which is justice. And, and I think that um, that is such an important trait. And I think from the quote you just read, it's, it is a trait, I believe, uh, in here's in Canadian society, not just women, men as well. And, and, uh, people who study these things say that we have a fairly high, uh, level of social trust, trust in our institutions, trust in each other, uh, whereas other societies that we sometimes compare ourselves with have less. And people, the, the, there, there's a lot of study done on this. And the most recent thing I read on it was that um, societies uh, with uh, uh, a fairly high trust quotient um, are... Um, more likely to get through things like COVID-19 uh, better than societies that are divided, that that uh, demonize some members of society or some groups on political or racial or what other basis. When you lose that central basic trust in an institution or in a society, I think things work less well. But I wouldn't call it feminine necessarily. I would call it uh, a very Canadian thing, although other countries, many other countries have it. Well, it was We're beautiful. Lucky we are lucky to have it. We are because, as I said, I was born in the United States, and it, it was striking moving here. The the change in the attitude. It wasn't about me and my house and my street and my school, my country, my state. Mm. It was like we're Canadian, and I've. Um, I've loved being a part of that. Well, last question. I know I, I'm being respectful of your time. I know you're very, very busy. And this is just a total dish girl question, but I'm going to ask it to you because it's a really good story. We're talking about uniquely female issues. And so please tell us the story about the bra, which was available for a very short time only at Simon's Quality Modern Fashion Stores that was named after you. Can we talk a little bit about that for a sec? Yeah, yeah so... Uh the department store in question, which is a fine department store, uh, decided to run a promotion on uh, on bras, and uh, they decided to design a series of bras and name them after uh, prominent Canadian women in history. And I think I was the only one still alive. And uh, uh, so there were six bras or so. And I heard about this. I was actually on vacation in in, in Italy, and uh, one of my former law students texted me this, or or rather emailed me this this that this was happening, and I I just couldn't believe it. I mean uh, uh, that that uh, it didn't seem at all appropriate that people like Flora McDonald or whatever they would would be would be used to sell lingerie uh, and uh, anyway uh, it, it, it just struck me as inappropriate on so many levels I, I thought would they ever uh, a, a pro try to sell you know boxer shorts on the basis of it, associating them with uh, you know Stephen Harper or somebody like that. I didn't think they would, and 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 apart from that, you you have to get people's permission 
uh, if they're living anyway, and I was very much living, to use their names for such purposes. And uh, so anyway, uh, I I asked this young lady to to write them a letter, and and uh, and she, uh, Katie Katie Black's her name. She's a wonderful lawyer, litigation lawyer now. And 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 she wrote a letter expressing our concerns and asking that this be discontinued and saying that if we didn't get a positive response, we'd have to bring an action. And uh, the nice, one of the nice parts of the story is that Simons responded very positively and, uh, and uh, withdrew and made an apology. And uh, one of the things I asked for in lieu of uh, damages or whatever was, was that they uh, make a contribution to a women's uh, uh, a shelter uh, charity. And they made a, a, a generous contribution, which I was very happy about. But I felt I had to stand up because the other people were gone and they couldn't take this position to protect their names and to prevent the trivialization of what was their very, very important contributions. And it turned out very well for everybody, including uh, the fact that we were able, I believe, I can't remember the number, but a, a quite a number of housing units for uh, women who otherwise wouldn't have had a place for them and their children uh, were provided. So that was a good outcome. It's a good outcome. It's a good story, and it's a good outcome. And you are justice through and through, top to bottom. Well done. Well played on that. So I'm going to end with just a you know just one final statement. I started off the first podcast talking about how you saved my life a little bit the first time I met you, and I just want to share with you that the very last couple of paragraphs in your book saved my life in a completely different way. The idea of retirement is terrifying to me. I, I can't even think about it. But there's people in my life who are encouraging me to, are encouraging me to, st- to start slowing down and make some changes. And I don't even like the word. But I loved this paragraph in your book. You said, to retire, I have discovered is a transitive verb. One does not simply retire. One retires from something to something else. I retired from the Supreme Court to other loves. Writing, working for justice in new and different ways and renewing my appreciation for the people at the center of my life. And you go on to talk a little bit more about your family and how grateful you are for them. And at the very end, you end with this line, each day is a new day. You never know what will happen. I just want (laughs) to thank you for that and um, say that, you know, again, that just rescued me in a slightly different way than you did seven or eight years ago. So we'll end there. Thank you so very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. If you haven't read her book, yeah, if you haven't read the book, Truth Be Told, go get it. It's a great read. And um, she's also, Beverly also has a fiction read as well, which, sorry, remind me of the title. Full Disclosure. Oh, Full Disclosure, right. I haven't read that. That's why I don't remember, but I want to read it. So thank you. I haven't. I have another one coming out in the spring. I have to get that in. <laughs> oh, good. What's that called? Let's hear about it. Uh, well, you'll hear about it in due course. <laughs> <laughs> You're it's tough. Still, still in editing. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Thank it was you. It lovely, lovely chatting with you. Likewise. It was a pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.